Hey everyone, it's your host Mark Shapiro here. Before we jump into the next episode of Explore the Space, I just want to thank you all again so much for tuning in and for listening. Really excited about what's going on at the show and how fast we're growing. Please take a look at our brand new website at www.explorethespaceshow.com. Tons of stuff there. The whole archive is there. This is the 83rd episode. The blog is up. I've been doing some fun writing stuff there, kind of stretching out some creative writing muscles that haven't had a lot of activity over the last couple of years. So really excited to be doing that work. Please do take a minute and leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes. Please take a minute and share the show with your friends and your colleagues as well. All of those things really help the show to grow, really help us out a lot. Feel free to email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love to hear from listeners. It's been really fun to connect with people on Twitter, connect over email, start to hear more about what you're enjoying. And quite honestly, some people telling me how much the show means to them. And that is just, it's a real honor. It's really flattering. And it just, it's more motivating to keep turning out great content. So thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks so much for listening. And here's our next episode. Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Dr. Taylor Brana. And Taylor Brana has just started his second year of his psychiatry residency, which he is doing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he is also the host of a podcast and the founder of a really interesting project called The Happy Doc. Now, on Explore the Space, we have discussed the issues surrounding physician burnout. We've talked about physician suicide. We've talked about this growing sort of discontent that lives within the practice of medicine. And we've had some really meaningful conversations with a lot of really experienced and thoughtful people on this subject. The interesting thing about Taylor is that he is at the beginning of his career and he has already become one of the people that medical students, residents, and physicians are starting to look to with his project and his podcast to think about, conceptualize, reminisce, and build the career in medicine that they want. And I'm really excited to have him come and discuss the road that he is on with the happy doc and what we're starting to see happen. So Taylor, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You are at the beginning of your career in medicine, and I'm going to be really honest with you. When I first saw your project, I had the reflex that I bet you you've heard from more than one physician, which was what the hell does this guy know? He hasn't done this yet. <laughs> and as I sat in that yeah. place, I was like, you know, that is a really boring, really generic thought to have, Mark. Let's try to be a little bit more sophisticated and let's let's see what someone who is entering our profession that's getting that first impression of being a doctor has to say about what we're doing and what I'm in the middle of. I'm in the middle of my career. And it's been incredible. It's been really <laughs> eye-opening. When did you say to yourself, I'm going to be a doc, I'm going to go to medical school, I'm going to make the investment, I'm going to be a resident, and I'm going to get after it, but I also want to think about what it means to be a doc and how do I get the most out of my career, and I'm going to talk about it. When did that start for you? So um, in terms of medicine itself, uh, it really starts out in my career as an athlete. So um, I did gymnastics since I was six years old. Interestingly enough, my grandfather was in 
the Soviet army and he competed gymnastics. And so it kind of runs in our family, Russian, uh, my family put us in a lot of sports and I gravitate towards gymnastics. And then essentially when I got a little bit older going into high school and college, I realized if I wanted to be very good at the sport, I was going to have to focus on nutrition, exercise, and looking at the science of what it means to really optimize your training, optimize your body. So I actually thought I was going to go into physical therapy at one point. And in college, I went into kinesiology. And then in college, I really started to do well in my science classes. I really explored um, other fields. And I looked at the pre-med track as, as one of the options. And I said, you know what? I really like looking at research. I like to learn. I'd like to be the top of a field. Um, and medicine started to be more and more of a, an idea in my mind. And then I, I really, honestly, I went for it. I took the MCATs and, and decided that you know this is something I'd want to do. Then to fast forward a little bit in terms of this project, um, and I will actually say that, uh, yes, I have had people say, like, who, what does this guy know about finding met, like happiness in medicine? But I, I will tell you a little, little bit about my experience in that realm. Basically, as a third-year student, I felt really exhausted, extremely exhausted. In college, I'd come at my peak shape. I just competed, had an amazing season in gymnastics. I, I did well in school. And then I went to medical school and I started slowly at Shirley losing my physical shape. I was exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted. Um, I felt like spiritually exhausted in a sense. I, I started questioning the reason I was in school. I'd taken boards and, and I go to my first rotation in internal medicine and I asked the doctor I was working with, I said, what gets you excited about medicine? And she told me it was her seven days off of work because she had a seven days on, seven days off schedule. And I'm like, crap, what did I get myself into, right? I wasn't feeling the excitement, the fulfillment, the things that I was really hoping to get through the process. Um, and meanwhile, you know, all these articles are coming out about depression and suicide and burnout. And, and I'm starting to ask questions, you know, are, are there happy doctors? So it really just came out of a place of me being curious um, and reaching out to doctors for my own sake. And I had some pretty impactful conversations uh, from reaching out to doctors. And I said, you know what, maybe I should record these things because maybe a medical student out there, even someone further down the chain might find some inspiration in it. So it was a pretty like honest question for me. And that's why it's called the happy doc. Like, are there happy doctors? And that's kind of how it started. And now it's sort of evolving. I found so many opportunities. Um, and I've learned so many lessons through the process of podcasting and asking lots of questions from very experienced physicians, people who are much further along than I, and it's it's been a fantastic experience. What I would suggest is the real pivot point in what you're doing is that we are still really desperately trying to play catch up with more than one generation of physicians who don't feel happy, who would say, I look forward to the stretch of time when I get to be off, when I'm not practicing medicine, mm -hmm. and figuring out how to rebuild them. And that's a big effort and it's right. noble and we need to do it. But what I would propose what's different about yeah. your work is you are targeting people who are in that place where they are still excited. They're still fired up. They still know what their outside interests are. Right. They haven't lost sight of it yet. So we can maintain that so that yeah. that doesn't – we don't lemming off a cliff and then realize, oh my god, I'm at the bottom of a cliff and all my bones are broken. We say, no, I'm going to keep yeah. hiking. I like to hike. I'm going to hike, but I'm going to be a doctor too. I think that 
catching people early and changing that paradigm, and it's a big 180-degree shift that let's keep physicians happy, let's keep their interests high when they're medical students, residents, and beyond, let's learn the skills to be a doctor and learn the skills to maintain your sense of self at the same time, right? You and I laugh, you say you were an accomplished gymnast, and all of a sudden that starts to fade, and I'm laughing saying, yeah, you were a medical student. That's not normal. And you, I think, are helping to drive that narrative and help people say, like, from the beginning, we need to be paying attention to this, not when another generation of physicians is way down the road. Definitely. And I'd like to make a comment on that. You know, so I have interviewed specific medical students, residents, and, you know, physicians who are early in their training, as an example, and, and what I find the, the students and the, and the doctors who seem most excited have really retained those interests. You know, some of the really great things that students came into for medical school, maybe you mentioned like hiking or they were a great climber or they're a fantastic artist or they did some computer science or they won an award for, you know, something. You know, those special traits that those individuals came into school with all of a sudden, we're saying you don't have time for it. You can't be an individual just because of the rigors of medical training. And what I'd love to say, and, and one of my main messages is we need to be creative, find ways to still maintain those special interests, the things that make you human, the things that make you unique, the things that got you into medical school uh, and, and make you an interesting person. I would love for people to, to retain those things. Um, myself as an example, like I said, I was a gymnast, but something I took on actually in my second to third year transition is we formed a, this is kind of interesting too, is a medical breakdancing group. And so we actually did breakdancing classes after school. We do for like an hour, two hours, and uh, it was really enjoyable. So, you know, things like that, you have to be creative and find time to do what you love. I absolutely love that you guys were doing that. I hope that there are YouTube videos of it. And I want to pick up on one of the things that you mentioned because I think it's important. You mentioned that we look for interesting people and you're absolutely right. I had the opportunity when I was a medical student to be on the admissions committee for my medical school. And I think you would say the same thing that for medical schools now around the country, they do not look for the smartest person with the best grades. They look for people who have lots of different interests, who have demonstrated an ability to connect on many, many levels with lots of different people. And that is an evolution. And I think credit should be given for that. But now we're at the next stage of that evolution is all those things that got you in, that brought you into this medical school to because we think that gives you potential to be a wonderful physician stage two of the evolution, right? Part of that being the work of the happy doc project. Part of that evolution is maintaining those interests so that as you're getting through training, that's still a part of who you are so that when you're seeing patients, when you're working in teams, when you're you know interacting with staff, you're still that person as opposed to the bashed up, broken down, exhausted and depressed alternative that we see far too often. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't set it better myself. When you talk to medical students and you're in a unique position, residents really do get to bridge that gap. And I think you've done a nice job of it. You talk to people who are attendings, who are professors, people such as myself, you know, I've been doing this for a while, and you get to talk to medical students. Juxtapose for me a little bit the view of medicine. Take us to the medical student side 
Take us to where the medical students, maybe just the ones who are, you know, first year of medical school, mostly in the lecture hall, maybe doing some small group learning, and then take us to the attending. And give me that juxtaposition, yeah. your perception of where we are in that equation. Sure. I mean, so you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but when you think about a medical student, you really do have this optimistic, wide-eyed individual who's ready to take on the world and literally believes that they can heal the world, right? Um, and I think for most people, that's pretty much maintained early on in medical school. First year, you definitely feel that fire hydrant-like experience. You're getting drowned by a lot of information, but you keep up with it. And I think for most parts, the first years are definitely optimistic. I think what starts to happen is around board's time, uh, things start to change. So I think in second year, things start to shift. All of a sudden, people feel this sense of competitiveness. They get concerned. They're anxious. They're trying to do as many questions as they can. They're nervous to talk to their friends because they don't want to look like idiots. You know, I think it's, it's odd that there's a lot of fear that starts to creep in. Now, all of a sudden, you take the, your board's exam and you go into third year of medical school and you go into your, you know, clinical rotations, for example, and you really feel like you don't know much. And again, you're, you're confused. You're not sure what your role is on the team and, you know, different rotations. Some of your leaders, I think we talked about leadership before, you know, some of your leaders are fantastic and make you feel part of a team and really include you and others do not. And when you're on a team that you haven't really been explained your role, especially as an early medical student, um, you feel really lost. And ag again, you're, you're transitioning from, you know, if we want to talk about this whole picture, you're transitioning from being like kind of the top of the totem pole in college, feeling pretty confident, you know, you did very well and you're able to get into medical school. You have all this confidence and all of a sudden your confidence drops tremendously when you see this huge swath of information you have to digest, not knowing what you're doing, not knowing what your role is. And I, I really do think that's that gap, that transition is the hardest. That's when shame creeps in. And am I good enough? When guilt comes in, you know, uh, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. Someone else should have taken my place. I'm not good enough. Uh, you know, someone more passionate could make this. I'm not smart enough. All these thoughts start to creep in, especially you're on rotations where, you know, maybe uh, there's a lot of pimping and you feel like you really didn't understand the questions um, and you haven't learn necessarily the skill set of just, you know, taking that and realizing it's a learning experience. And instead you take it very personally and then you go into fourth year uh, and now you're trying to go into, um, you know, interview season and you're trying to get that residency spot and it's so nerve wracking. And hopefully, hopefully you did well on your step exam ex exams. Hopefully you did well on your interviews enough to get that spot. Fourth year's finished. Um, you have that confidence. And then, all of a sudden, again, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. So I, I think, you know, going into this in and out sort of process of being confident and excited, you know, you talk about confidence and competence and those types of things, and then constantly going back down to the bottom of the totem pole, it's very nerve wracking. Now, I'm not even including people who may have failed their boards exams, you know, who have not gone through this process in a linear fashion, who... Um, you know, have struggled through this process who may not have matched. Um, I, and, and to be honest, I did go straight through. So I can only comment 
from the people I've interviewed who haven't passed. And I have had guests who have actually on my podcast who have left medicine. Now I'm in residency currently. um, And I will say, you know, going from first year to second year, again, I was kind of in the bottom of the totem pole. Second year, I have more confidence going into it. I've learned enough. I kind of have a sense of the ropes. I've developed my own system, systematic approach in asking questions and, um, you know, finding time to learn from journals and, and again, I'm not perfect and I wish I could read more and I wish I could learn more. But, you know, I do think, again, like as, a, as cliche as it is, it does get better. And now I'm learning in my own specialty. So I do think I, I'm starting to feel better about the process. But yeah, as you can tell, there's a lot of stressors getting into that point. Now, I can't comment too much about the attending side. I think that's where you might want to come in. But I do know that the, from the guests I've spoken to, obviously you do feel that experience again of not feeling so sure of yourself as a new fresh attending. And then over time you gain that confidence and you know, you gain a specific skill set. You're very good at what you do and there is that confidence again, but that takes a lot of time. So I think those transitions, those transition points are the parts where we're really experiencing, really experiencing the depression, the exhaustion, what people call burnout. Um, And unfortunately um, at those transition points, I think that's really where, unfortunately, students or physicians can commit suicide, um, feeling lost and feeling not, you know, isolated, not part of this process to really grow and, and get through those tough times. As we're digging into this and really exploring the root causes of the worst possible outcomes, physician suicide, depression, people dropping out, people leaving the field of medicine, I think that what you're identifying as some of the root causes, I would agree. I think that we should not, I would say it's very difficult to overemphasize what those transitions feel like. And I think for someone who hasn't gone through it, it really is that first part of a roller coaster when you're in the car and it's clicking and you're climbing up and you have that sense of anticipation and you're excited, but you don't exactly know what's going to come. And the bottom absolutely falls out. And it's terrifying at a level that is primal and uncontrollable. That really is what those transitions feel like. I think if you, as you're doing your work and I'm thinking about myself, where has it been the hardest for me? It has always been around those transitions. It is around taking your first board exam in your second year of medical school. It's being an intern. It's changing and, you know, becoming an attending because you're, you're absolutely right. You're dropped in the bottom of a pit. And you're dropped from a great height. When, you, when you're a fourth-year medical student, you feel like you know everything, and then you're dropped off the face of the earth into an internship yeah. in a different city most of the time. Like it, your whole world changes, um, and medical school is the same. And all of those things absolutely are triggers for the worst possible things we can see. I get the sense that we're, though, we're still in a learning phase around this. Are you seeing solutions to these things yet, or are we still just like – our eyes are popping open and we're just realizing, hey, here are the problems and here are some of the root causes. Have we even gotten to the solution phase yet? I, I love that question. I mean, I think, you know, from a cultural, medical cultural perspective as a whole, I think we're really still, um, unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I'd love it to be further in awareness phase. Um, and I actually did go to see uh, Pamela Weibel's film. It's called Do No Harm. Um, uh, there was a pre-screening showing basically focusing on uh, a, a specific student as he was going through depression um, and almost committing suicide. And it actually follows another family whose 
uh, unfortunately, their son, who was a medical student, did commit suicide. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in that audience were in shock um, and uncomfortable by some of the things that they were seeing. Now, of course, that's, that, folk, that film focused on a lot of the negative things that happen in medicine, and it's not all bad. But, you know, I still think, you know, the fact that people are in shock that these things happen or people are depressed, you know, and that what the statistics are at, for example, um, it means that there's a lot of awareness to be done. Now, I will say that are we ready for some solutions? I think we are ready to start to kick that into gear. I think an awareness needs to be done on the fact that one thing I, I have learned is we talk a lot about resilience, resiliency in medicine. And a lot of the focus is on the practitioner, the, the student, the physician, the, the resident themselves. But I think we do need a shift into, again, a more cultural change uh, to look at the environments, environments of the, you know, the team that you're in, the, you know, let's say you're an internal medicine uh, resident, you know, it's not just your resilience, but how are you interacting with your team? Is it a team that's um, open? Are you able to vocalize your concerns? Are you, do you feel comfortable talking about the mistakes you've made? Um, those types of things on a cultural level or your team level will really impact, you know, the way you feel about yourself and, and how you are part of this cohesive whole. Now you expand that a little further, you can look at the culture of the hospital. You know, does the hospital have a open communication? Does the hospital make you feel comfortable being a resident or a physician in that facility? Um, does Is there a good leadership or way to feel comfortable with mistakes and issues and things that you need to discuss? So I, I think, you know, not that it's necessarily a solution, but that we are in a phase where we can make a lot of improvements if we open up the issues to say it's not just about resiliency on the individual, but that as a whole, we can do a lot better on that leadership kind of perspective um, from the team level and from the hospital level. And even, you know, if we look at larger on a, a political and, and national level. So we really need to work on these things. And I would comment um, as well. I had a, another guest on my podcast and I thought it was very enlightening. He doesn't call the burnout, uh, you know, the issues with around burnout a problem because a problem suggests that there's an easy solution. He calls it a dilemma, a dilemma meaning that there isn't a clear solution and you need to utilize different strategies to improve the scenario or recover or to do better. Um, and I really liked that viewpoint of what we're dealing with right now. So I think, I think we're, we're doing better. Um, it's just a process. And I, I really do think right now we're still at the awareness phase, but we can transition to improving as a whole. I think that we are in that same place as well. I think that we have come to the realization that this is an extraordinarily complex problem with a number of drivers, all of which are unique and all of which will need a unique approach. And I think that now we're able to start thinking about it in that way as opposed to there's a magic button out there, right? There is a novel medication. There's a gene therapy. There's a specific medicine that we can administer and everything will be well. That's not the case. And it's going to take a very complex and multifaceted approach. I would posit that one of those approaches is this milieu of physicians getting out and being articulate and sharing ideas. Podcasting, for example. You and I have talked about yeah. one of the podcast guests that I've been fortunate to have that I, you have said has resonated with you. I now understand why. When, when I've done episodes with Dave Burke, who comes from 
fighter training and the culture that lives in fighter tra- fighter pilot training and learning how to get better and how to be accountable and how to retain your personnel and how to take care of your personnel you and i both agree there are some real lessons to learn there and as i'm hearing you talk about the work we need to do in medicine I am going through my mental archive of the things that I've learned from Dave Burke about how do we in medicine start to be accountable for the type of culture we're putting our trainees into. I think that this is the sort of momentum. This, quite honestly, for me, is very exciting. This is the stuff that over time is going to start to move the needle. Yeah. It all comes down to, again, awareness because you know if your listeners or people who are listening to this conversation didn't listen to that conversation with David Burke – um, as an example, they might not have uh, an awareness or sense of the, co- the concepts that they're utilizing in training over there. And, and here's the thing. I mean, teams are teams, you know. Communication is communication. Like uh, if, if one culture or one different uh, group is performing fantastic and, and they're doing something different than medicine, for example, we got we to gotta be looking at that with a magnifying glass and asking ourselves some questions saying, what are they doing different? Because there's plenty of cultures and, and teams out there that are doing fantastic jobs. And, and obviously, you've learned a lot about that through you know, that, that podcast episode. So I think there's just so much that medicine can learn from cross-pollinating. And, and I know you agree with me on this, cross-pollinating different ideas and seeing how we can take ideas from different systems, different people, different leaders, and apply that to our space. And that's what gets me really exciting about podcasting and asking um, you know, people who are ahead of me, how do I maintain my excitement for medicine and the work that I do? So it's, yeah, it's, it's just a very interesting time to be exploring a lot of these ideas. That's exactly why I do this podcast. That's exactly why Explore the Space exists. But I want to be clear, your podcast is not called The Sad Doc. It's not called the aware doc. It is called the happy doc. And that is a choice. And I think it's an important choice. And it's an important distinction. We are emphasizing the things that will make us happy. And so I want to tease that out a little bit. Give me your Mount Rushmore. You've been podcasting for I think you're probably getting close to a year, maybe longer. Your archive is rich. Your project is growing. And you're early in your career, but you've been through medical school. You finished your internship year. Mount Rushmore, top four things. If someone was to cold call you and say, well, because I'm doing it right now, Dr. Brana, what are the top four drivers that will allow a physician to be happy? Yeah. So I would, you know, even though it's called the happy doc, I actually, you know, when I, when I get deep into the conversation, I actually really want to focus on fulfillment. So I would actually, number one, I would say, number one, I would say is you can't always be happy. So I'd say number one is is being okay with the experience of going through a variety of emotions. And so I'd say number one is acceptance, acceptance of the variety of emotions that you'll go through. And it's interesting because I'm in psychiatry. One of the things I see with patients a lot, and I, and this is human nature, is we judge ourselves for the things we are feeling. Uh, we feel guilty. We feel shame. We feel all these things. Because we're just not accepting the feelings as we're feeling them. And instead, we wish we were in a different location. So my number one thing I would say is just accept where you are. And it's okay not to be happy. Um, number two, um, I would really say that every individual is different in what gets them excited and what brings them energy. So I would really look into your mind 
um, and, and ask yourself in the past, what were some things that brought you a lot of energy that got you excited to wake up during the day that made you feel fulfilled? And it really comes down to those things we talked about earlier. You know, uh, what were those interests that made you feel um, energetic? You know, was it a sport? Was it some activity you're doing like art? You know, those are really important things. So I really, I would really take a look at those, those tasks, those things that you did, because there's probably some truth there that, you know, those things will reignite your passion. Um, and kind of as a number three that follows very closely with a number two is being very aware of your strengths and, and the things that you're good at. Because one of the things that I have found that has been extremely impactful for myself is figuring out that, you know what, I love talking to people. I really enjoy learning. Why not make a podcast? So the number three was I figured out my strength might be speaking and interviewing, and it's opened up my mind to this whole space of expression and creativity. So I, I know I might be like uh, chopping this up. I don't know if number three is your strengths or your creativity, but n- namely you should explore how you can use utilize your strengths to be creative and put yourself out there. Um, and I found so much passion in this project. I found so much joy in doing this and I've gotten really positive feedback from putting myself out there. So I would say that would be my third point. And lastly, you know, I would say having a sense of humility, knowing that you do not know, um, and being okay, not taking things personally in the moment, but knowing that you can learn, um, throughout this process and get better at what you do. I think that's a big thing that really hits a lot of egos is we always, you know, again, like I mentioned before, these transition points of feeling like you're at the top of the totem pole. Um, and I think you'd agree at different steps of the game, you just get brought back down. So just knowing that, you know, me, myself, knowing that, um, there's going to be moments where I feel great. And then all of a sudden I'm not going to know anything, um, feeling, you know, a sense of humility, knowing that this is going to be a bumpy road, but I accept the road and then I'm still learning, um, and, and being open to constantly learning and, and growing, I think is an important step. So I'd say that humility would be number four. I think that those four items capture very nicely what you and I kind of laughed about just a moment ago, right? Culture is culture. Communication is communication. Happiness and fulfillment is happiness and fulfillment. And the four things that you just listed, that is not medicine. That's anybody. And that's one of the things that what we're doing and what podcasting allows and Explore the Space and the Happy Doc allows, most of our listeners, or at least most of the listeners of Explore the Space are not physicians. And yet what you're giving them are tools that will allow them to look for happiness and fulfillment. And that's what's so important that we're not asking, we're not thinking, we're not considering things that are outside the normal human experience. It's just remembering how to reconnect with being human, how to, how to reconnect with your sense of humanity and what made you that wonderful person and candidate that was heavily recruited by all these prestigious medical schools. And, and I, would, I would like to add on a point from what you said, someone in my residency, it's, this, it's just a situation, but um, had mentioned, Taylor, you, you seem awfully in good spirits. And this was a conversation essentially asking, like, how could I do it? Um, because a lot of, you know, people get very exhausted, but I'm, I'm generally, honestly, able to maintain a pretty positive outlook, 
even when it gets pretty tough. And the main thing that I would say from that end is I identify as a human first and then a physician or a resident. So I really take the time to connect with my humanity and make sure that I get my energy up and stay excited at being a person. And then I attack being a resident. And I feel like a lot of people, unfortunately, let the lifestyle of them being a resident or an attending or what have you, they let that run their life and they go into autopilot on that and they forget to reconnect with things that they need to do to be a human being. Um, and I, I think that's also a really important distinction. So yeah, I love what you said. It's all about being a human first. Um, and then, you know, whatever profession, whatever you're doing, you know, is, is secondary to me. I mean, I could give some, you know, thoughtful and lofty statement or comment about what you just said, but I'm going to go ahead and just say, you're right. And then let's just move on because that doesn't need further, that doesn't need further discussion. You're right. That's like an empiric truth. And, and I think that as we move to a place where more and more people realize that, embrace it and support others in that journey, we're going to find ourselves in a much better spot. I do want to pivot as we kind of move towards our conclusion here. One of the other parts of you being early in your career and being a younger physician that I think is going to really help drive your project is really just quite frankly, the level of comfort and facility that you and the people that are supporting you have with technology and social media. And what I mean by that is it's not just using the same things that we're all learning. And I'm, I'm learning these things all the time and I, I am by no means an expert, but you're, I feel like, starting to try to explore new frontiers with it. And one of the things that you're using is your voice project. And I just saw that on your website. And I want to tease that out a little bit. The voice project that sure. you're doing as part of the Happy Doc, s- set the stage for that a little bit because it's it's a novel approach. And I think that we're going to see more and more people gravitating towards it. A hundred percent. And I really want to share this with your audience because to me, voice is one of the most important transitions we're going to go to as a society, I think. I mean, I can't predict the future, but I think this this is important. So let's take it a step back and say all of the listeners here listening to this podcast, why are they listening to it? Um, you know, one one would say maybe they're great audio learners, but for a lot of people, it's just really convenient. You know, they can go to work um, on their commute, they can listen to you and, and, you know, your, your messages and the guests that you have on. They can go to a workout. They can cook. You know, there's so many opportunities to just passively listen while, while still being productive. It reduces friction. So voice, or what I'd like to say is voice applications such as Alexa, you know, that Amazon has produced or Google Home, they call these voice first projects or products. And essentially what that just means is you can now turn on things, ask questions, um, talk to Siri on your iPhone, utilizing your voice. And the advantage of that is that when you utilize your voice, you don't have to type anything. It's instant and you can get information very quickly. So what's happened with these voice applications is that essentially now it really doesn't take too much programming experience. And this is very timely because I'm going to be releasing an episode with one of the leaders in voice entrepreneurship on my podcast. So I'd love for you guys to check it out. It's very simple to program simple applications that you can use 
um, to help your patients or to provide information to medical students or to other doctors. A use case, for example, is in colleges. So an individual, let's say a teacher who's teaching a math class, wants to know more information about his students. So they developed uh, one application that's essentially a survey app using just voice. And you have all of your students sign up to this application and basically answer five to 10 questions using your voice. And now the teacher has populated a survey, quick survey from all their students in this math class utilizing this application. Um, and that's all done through voice. Again, you could be cooking while answering this. Um, you could be passively doing something else while being productive. Um, and there's so many opportunities with voice. Um, and we've now started to dive into it. We created a Happy Doc Quotes application that basically takes the top quotes from our guests and you can just listen to it um, as an example to get inspiration in your day using your Alexa device. And I know a lot of people don't own these yet, but it will start to permeate as an option that people can use. So it's very exciting and I'm excited to explore it further. That is absolutely fascinating. And like I always do when I have guests on who come to discuss interesting frontiers of technology, I'm thinking through the good, but I'm also thinking through where would be the pushback. And you and I will definitely have to reconvene in, you know, down the road a little bit so we can kind of compare notes because I would suggest that in parallel with that is the emerging scholarship around the deleterious effect of what we like to term multitasking, where when you look at functional MRI, there's actually no such thing. It doesn't appear to be that the brain can actually activate and fire multiple foci at the same time. So you think you're completing multiple tasks, but you're actually not. And it will sure. be very interesting to see how these two freeways that are now, you know, eight lane freeways and, you know, modern super trains of scholarship, how they start to intersect because they will. And which is the right way for us to be kind of targeting our brains and, and using technology. But uh, that is just absolutely fascinating. And I think that it will certainly, the way that you're using it and starting to deploy it will for sure augment the work that we're doing and get more people engaged. And if nothing else, get them thinking about what you said, how to be creative, how to think about the things that are fulfilling, the things that allow for sustainability. One of them is creativity. Well, this is exactly what you're discussing. And I think that it's absolutely important. And I think it's really laudable. As people hear this show, they're going to absolutely want to gravitate to your show as well. So how will people find you? How do they find the happy doc? Sure. So if you go onto iTunes, you can just search the happy doc. Um, if you want to find our website, the website's thehappydoc.com. And then we're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's uh, at Happy Doc Podcast. Um, if you search Happy Doc Podcast on any of those channels, you'll find us. We have a Facebook group, which is a more personal. We have the Happy Doc fan page, but we also have a personal group called the Happy Doc Lounge. And you guys can hop on, ask questions, make comments. We're very accessible. Um, if anyone has any creative ideas that they want to explore, or even if they're feeling like crap and they're just not enjoying themselves right now, that's cool too. Again, I'm just very open about it. And I would love people to chime in and, and say where they're at. We would like to inspire people to be where exactly where they're at and explore their creativities and reconnect with their humanity, kind of just like we've been talking about with the, within this whole episode. I think it's really courageous the way you're positioning your show. And you clearly have multiple 
interesting and fascinating journeys that are happening simultaneously. And, you know, certainly the desire to do all of this great work with the happy doc, I think is vital, but I would still suggest that more vital is your desire and your drive to be a well-trained, competent, thoughtful, and caring physician, because that's what will drive everything else. And that you're able to do these at the same time is amazing. And the roads that you're going to walk are going to be absolutely fantastic. And I cannot wait to follow along. So Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has just been an amazing conversation and it's going to be a wonderful adventure for all of us to see the work that you do and see the change that you can make. Dr. Mark Shapiro, um, I have to say this has kind of come full circle because someone on my team, uh, Neil, is a huge fan of yours and this is how kind of this all happened in the first place and it's really crazy that I'm being interviewed by you right now after being such great fans of yourself. Um, so I, I'm very honored to be on the show. Um, I love what you're doing. I, I think everyone who's listening to you is really getting a lot of value out of these conversations. And I can't say enough about this experience. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.